You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, at the time we're recording this, as Raptors Global Ambassador Drake would say, this is the best we've ever had. This is the best record the Raptors have ever had in this many games. That's 30 and 13. Three games behind the Celtics for first and four ahead of the Cavs who are in third. We're just a game over halfway through and there's only one more West Coast trip to go. So a lot to be happy about, but there are still lots of questions. And here to help me tackle some of those is Blake Murphy. Blake is the managing editor of Raptors Republic. He writes for The Athletic and Vice Sports and hosts a podcast called Raptors Reasonableists. So it's safe to say he has the Raptors covered. Blake, uh, thanks for coming on and being willing to share your knowledge. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. So, Raptors 30 and 13, is this where you uh, kind of expect them to be, to be at this point in the season, or what do you think? Yeah, maybe a little maybe a little higher than, than I expected to. You know, we, the talk entering the season with all the culture change and how they wanted to change things on the offensive end, uh, and with how young they are outside of, you know, the four key starters and C.J. Miles off the bench, you know, I thought it might take some, some more time than it did for them to kind of find this groove. And that early season six-game West Coast trip kind of seemed to galvanize everything, and they really just took off from there. So, um, you know, I, I figured they'd be roughly the same overall quality level in the regular season as the last few years. Uh, I didn't think necessarily they'd, they'd be on this kind of a near 60-win pace, uh, at least this early in the year anyway. How big has the uh, emergence or rather ability to play of OG and Nobi been? Because, I mean, he was expected to, at first we fought, thought that he wasn't going to be available to much later in the season. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he slid on draft night because in part of the torn ACL that he suffered in January. So, uh, you know, medical science has come a long way. OG Ananobi was only 19 when he suffered that injury. So you price in a, a sped-up recovery, and even still, uh, him appearing in preseason games in September uh, fell way ahead of schedule, even though the team never put a timeline on it. Uh, what he's shown since then has been pretty incredible uh, at both ends of the floor, really. Everyone knew that he would come in and probably be a quality defender. Uh, you know, he still does some rookie things when he's guarding off the ball, coming around screens, losing guys on back cuts. Uh, but when he's on the ball, and it, it almost doesn't matter what player type he's against. He's done it against bigger point guards. He's done it against uh, faster wings or bigger wings. Uh, on the ball, he's been really, really strong defensively. Uh, offensively is where maybe he's impressed the most because those were that's where the questions about his game were. Uh, he's shooting 37% on threes. That's come down a little bit the last couple of weeks uh, as he regresses and, and hits you know, the kind of cold streak you expect for for a rookie shooting three threes a game, but um, he's already kind of, you know, beat his reputation in terms of, of shooting. I did a study uh, around Christmas time about guys who had started their career shooting at this level over that many attempts. And there was basically one guy in the sample, Roddy Boubois, who didn't end up at least being a passable three point shooter in their career. So um, that's really encouraging. And then he's shown more ball skill than I think maybe people anticipated him to show as a, as a rookie. The Raptors will, let him run, you know, one, maybe two pick and rolls each game. He attacks comfortably out of the corner. Uh, he'll drive and then post up, or he'll drive and find the dump off. Um, he's smart cutting without the ball. So he's done all of these little things offensively that are maybe ahead of where um, he was supposed to be on that end of the floor uh, in his rookie year. And, and you look at some of the advanced stats, uh, he's got the best net rating on the team, meaning that 
you know, the Raptors are outscoring opponents when he's on the floor more than they are with any other player. It's been, it's been really impressive, even with, you know, the ups and downs that come with being a rookie. I mean, you mentioned it, that playmaking ability, certainly not something, I mean, I guess playmaking as in he's making the right decision on a lot of those um, passes, which is something, especially uh, from a rookie, you don't expect, especially from a wing rookie. Now, part of the plus of OG Ananobi has been, I think, negative for Norman Powell. He's kind of fell out of the rotation here. Is that just OG uh, being successful, or is it more than that? No, I think it's a little more than that. You know, Norman Powell lost his job, uh, his starting role initially because he got hurt. And, and Dwayne Casey normally isn't a fan of having guys lose their spots because of injury. Um, obviously, Ananobi kind of clicked with the starting five, though, and the starting five with Powell had been struggling. Now, at the time, though, that looked like it might be a positive for Powell because on paper, Powell's a good fit with the second unit. That second unit is very active defensively. They run in transition. They needed a secondary creator uh, like Powell can be when he's playing well. Um, but that hasn't really, you know, worked out the way he'd hoped either. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything, you know, physically different about Norman Powell at this point. I don't think he's changed athletically or the type of player he is. Um, he's shooting the three at a lesser rate than he did the last two years. And, you know, you look at some of those advanced numbers, like I mentioned with OG Ananobi, you know, only CJ miles has a worse net rating than Norman Powell. And you isolate the starting five, how good they've been lately with how they were when Norman Powell was in there. And it's kind of the opposite story of OG Ananobi. So um, the tough position that Powell finds himself in now is not necessarily that Ananobi's playing well with the starters. It's that, Powell has played so poorly that he's fallen out of the second unit rotation even, and the Raptors are running with Fred Van Bleet and DeLon Wright with those minutes and playing a, a more typical lineup with, with two natural bigs. Uh, so he's kind of got to use these small windows. Kyle Lowry was down for three games, and Powell got some time and maybe didn't take advantage the way he could have. Um, on Wednesday night, Fred Van Bleet was down, and Powell had maybe his best game in the last couple of weeks, at least in the first half. So that's the kind of way he has to take advantage of these small windows and kind of push his way back into the second unit rotation. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think he's at risk of falling out long term. The Raptors still have faith in him. They just signed him to a new extension. They know what he can bring in the playoffs. But he's really he's in a tough spot where, you know, the Raptors will try to make time for him, but he's going to get these tiny chunks of minutes and really has to maximize them. It's not, it's not a it's not an easy thing to do. Back on that uh, OG discussion, should I just expect that for the next few years that we'll see a rookie start at least uh, half the games each season? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just pencil in, you know, Pascal Siakam started because of injury. Jared Sullinger was originally supposed to be in that spot. Um, you know, that, that didn't work out. Pascal Siakam is a very nice prospect, was then and still is. Um, but, you know, starting 45 games or, or whatever it was out of the gate when you were supposed to be a longer-term project it's just you know that's not the way things are meant to go so uh, we'll see they don't have a pick this coming year so you know if if a rookie's starting it's an undrafted free agent and something something has gone wrong somewhere if that's the case yeah let's let's hope that's not what happens um how do you feel about how many minutes we've seen from uh, Kyle and DeBard this season as far as like a quantity basis yeah it's it's been better um you know they're they're averaging fewer minutes than they have in years. For DeMar DeRozan, he's down to 34.7, which is the lowest for him since his rookie year in 2009-10. So even though that's still, you know, on the higher end for guys, he's playing less than three quarters of the game. Uh, I haven't had an issue with the rotation pattern where um, Lowry sits down and, and then it's DeRozan and bench, and then they both come in 
partway into the second and partway into the fourth. Um, I think in the second half, too, in, unless the one seed is right there for them to grab, you'll probably see them take some nights off for rest like they have in the last couple of years. Uh, with Lowry, it's a little bit of a different story. He's only averaging 32.9 minutes. Uh, which is his, which are his fewest since 2012-13. The thing you run into with Lowry, though, is that he plays so darn hard all the time, uh, and we've even seen it now. He misses three games with, with a bone bruise in his tailbone, comes back in, immediately draws two charges, and hits the deck going for a defensive rebound. Um, Lowry only has one speed, and it's a pretty physical breakneck speed where his body's on the line a lot. So um, he's a guy in the second half of the year. I'd be looking for any window to get games off, and, um, something that I've, I always run into is uh, I'm very I'm very cautious with this minute stuff naturally, uh, but I'm also aware that you know minutes is the only thing we have to go off of. Whereas the team has biometric data from practices, they wear the catapult body tracking um, gear to, to get some feedback. They they know the players, they know the practice time and stuff like that. So um, we're going off of shorthanded information, but even even acknowledging that, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Lowry get some nights off down the stretch. Now, there's an uh, an interesting question I just thought of, and uh, I was going to kind of tackle the same subject later, but Raptors are kind of in a battle for first. They're not too far out of it. Is it worth it to play Lowry a few extra games and try and get that number one seed and maybe not have to play Cleveland or Boston in the second round? Yeah, it, it would be... You know, it, it would be worth it if it's right there and it's, you know, if we're coming down to the last three or four games of the season and it's within a game. Um, I think that's kind of a decision they can make once they get closer and feel that out closer to the, the big thing hanging over that right now isn't even the three games that Toronto trails Boston. It's that Cleveland is only a half game up on fourth and only two games up on fifth. So. Uh, you might have to see if Cleveland continues to fall in the standings and continues to struggle, which, you know, probably isn't the case. They'll probably turn it around at some point and have another hot streak in them. Um, but, you know, you, you could end up bumping into the number one seed and then still drawing Cleveland in the second round. So uh, I think maybe you look, you know, start of March, you start looking at that a little more closely. Um, you start examining your back-to-backs and your opportunities to get guys rest. I think the Raptors would love to be the one seed and lock up home court. Um, but if they're a couple games back of Boston or they can't be sure they'll miss Cleveland, uh, rest is going to take the priority for sure. I think the Raptors getting first and Cleveland getting fourth is what ra- what uh, nightmares are made of. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it was it was funny last year where it was coming down to the it was coming down the stretch and there was a scenario where um, if the last couple games had broken a different way, where there you know Toronto and Cleveland I think played on the last night of the season. And there was a case where no matter it could have happened where no matter what Toronto drew Cleveland, it was just a matter of the matchup and their hands were tied. So, um, you know, these are things that you can look at later in the year. And obviously you just want to do the best you possibly can now, but you can only really control you, right? You can't control what Boston's going to do. You can't control, you definitely can't control what Cleveland's going to do with their ups (laughs) and downs. I'm not even sure if Cleveland can control Cleveland, but that's a, that's another topic. Uh, Kyle and DeMar, do you, we're getting ready for uh, them to announce the All-Star starters. You're going to be jumping on that in a bit. Uh, do you think Kyle and DeMar are locks to be uh, in the All-Star game? Uh, not locks, no. I do think I think, do think DeMar DeRozan has a, a really good chance of being announced shortly as a starter. Um, I think the starters are, you know, you're going to see LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeMar DeRozan, and Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. as the four certainties. Um, Joel Embiid and, and Al Horford are probably a coin flip for the for the final spot. I'd have Embiid in there, uh, but then you look at the benches, and you know it gets pretty tight. And I think 
I think if you dive into the numbers beyond just his points per game, Lowry has a really strong case to be an all-star once again. He's only missed three games. His advanced metrics are really strong. Um, the volume of threes he shoots at the level he does shoot them make up for the fact that he's only shooting 41% from the floor. Um, but he's going to be in the mix with names like Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal, um, Chris Asperzingis, Kevin Love. There's a handful of names that coaches are going to have to choose from for these last seven spots. Um, and only up to four of those can be guards. So you look, there's Oladipo, there's Beal, there's John Wall, there's Kyle Lowry, uh, there's Ben Simmons. So, uh, you know, Lowry's going to need the coach's vote to bounce his way. And, and those generally do favor veterans and guys who have the all-star pedigree. Um, you know, in Lowry's case, he's got a $200,000 bonus riding on, on the all-star game if he also plays 65 games. So he'll be watching that really closely. But I, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a shoe in It'll be interesting to see how the coaches vote. Fair enough. So I guess one of the biggest questions of the season is, do you think, from what you've seen so far, I mean, we've only got half the season through, but do you think this new offense is going to solve some of those problems we've seen in playoffs over the years? I think they're going to be better equipped for it. And I think, you know, I think on, on top of DeMar DeRozan improving as a playmaker and the team being a little more willing to shoot threes, I think the important thing that these changes in the regular season are doing is, is getting these guys reps. OG Ananobi has reps attacking from the corner if the shot isn't there. CJ Miles is putting the ball on the floor a little bit more. Uh, we saw on Wednesday, Jonas Valanciunas, three out of four possessions in the fourth quarter was catching the ball in those four-on-three scenarios when they trapped DeRozan and trying to make passes to shooters outside the arc. And, and you know, however well those things are going now, it's important that those guys get the reps and, and the fact that they're being empowered to make those decisions and make those plays. Whereas last year, you know, against Milwaukee, it was all of a sudden out of nowhere, okay, we have to play a different play style now because of how they're defending us. So um, I think on top of DeRozan and Lowry being more familiar with those, and, and it's not it's not perfect. You saw Wednesday against Detroit that, um, you know, Detroit kind of varied the cadence uh, of their traps a little bit, the timing they were sending two guys at, at DeRozan with, and that gummed up the offense a little bit. But I think it's important that all of these guys are getting the reps and, you know, the bigs are getting opportunities to pass and the shooters are getting opportunities to put the ball on the floor. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out against specific defenses when those traps that are, you know, a little passive now get really aggressive in the postseason. But, you know, they've done nothing but show encouraging signs. I think the big thing that Raptors fans would probably tell you is they want to see this a little bit more late in close games, which if there's one criticism of the offense to date, it's that those changes really haven't been there yet in kind of clutch scenarios, at least not regularly. Now, on that same playoff uh, subject, the Raptors are currently second, and I think it's safe to say they'll probably finish either first, second, or third. Uh, as it stands now, that means they would play either the Pacers, Bucks, or Pistons. Which of those would you be the most afraid of, and which would you be least afraid of for the Raptors? I'll tell you what I'm most afraid of is Philadelphia right now is only half game out of a playoff spot. Them sneaking in yeah. is what I think would be the most scary um, because, you know, then if Joel Embiid enters the playoffs healthy, there are no back-to-backs in the playoffs. They can, they can manage this workload pretty well. <laughs> That's a young team that, you know, they've already shown some improvements in closing out games. The Raptors have played them four times, and Philly, you know, kind of got progressively, um, at, at least in the fourth game, showed some growth in closing it out. Uh, of the three you mentioned, you know, I think Milwaukee would probably be the most frustrating to play still. Whenever there's a team that has a player at the level of Giannis and Tedekumpo, you know, it's tough not to defer to the team that has that kind of, game-changing, strategy-changing megastar. Not that, not that DeRozan is not playing you know, at a, at a borderline MVP level right now, but Giannis is the kind of unique talent that kind of changes everything. Um, you know, 
uh, going against the Bucks is I don't think they're particularly well coached right now, and I, I don't think they're maximizing what they have. But you know, Detroit and Indiana aren't really scary teams. I think they'd be fun series. I think they'd be, you know, uh, sorry, I say fun in kind of a a gross way. <laughs> they wouldn't be pretty <laughs> series, uh, but I think they'd be, you know, there would be good games, there would be close games, and I think the Raptors would be pretty comfortable in with either of those matchups. Fun in a gross way. I think that is very accurate, but very unique. <laughs> now, now I've got some uh, a bit more fun questions. We've tackled some of the big stuff. Uh, which Raptor do you want to see next in a GoDaddy commercial? Oh, boy. I don't want to see any of them in a GoDaddy commercial. Uh, no. this, is, this is like a curse that's brewing. Last year, Jonathan kind of had a drop-off after he was in one, and Norman Powell's in it this year, and he... He kind of drops off. I don't want. I definitely don't want them touching OG. I know. I know they probably <laughs> think that that OG and Anobi's uh, style of humor and, and response would fit well. But I don't. Know, hands off. <laughs> hands you, off. You don't think he could do some good uh, therapy on uh, a website? I do think he could do. Uh, I do think he could do a good job with the commercials. I just don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that weird GoDaddy curse that's brewing. Uh, to to get its hands on on OG Ananobi. That's a good point. Uh, I will I will not make my uh, uh, prediction that on who it will be because no, it, wa- it, it, it. it was going to be OG. It was going to be OG. So yeah, you, you look, OG, OG is going to have some sort of endorsement at some point, and the commercial is definitely going to play up his his stoic nature. Like the um, I don't know if you've seen the Raptors Twitter account. Every game tweets out the analytics yeah. dive with OG yep. Ananobi. Yeah, it's going to be something like that, and it'll be funny, and it'll be cute. I just, you know, if it's someone other than GoDaddy, I won't won't have a problem with that. The Google Home commercials don't seem to have hurt us yet, so that could be okay. Right. All right. Yeah, the DeRozan one where he opens the box and and asks it a bunch of questions was was a lot of fun, and it definitely (laughs) hasn't hurt DeRozan so far. There we go. That might be the route we go. Um, If there was an all-star game that involved coaches, how many points do you think Dwayne Casey could put up? Ooh, man, I'd have to look at the, the entire list of coaches. But I, I'd have to, you know, I, I don't I don't know I don't know what to expect. I, I think Dwayne would probably be a good floor general. Like I think I think he'd run the offense well. I think you'd see a little bit of, you know, Fred Van Bleed style running the offense in him. But I think I think he'd defer to you know, he'd be looking to get Steve Kerr those three point looks. He'd be looking to go to Luke Walden in the high post. I don't think he'd be looking for his own shot that that much. So, you know, you might see one of those, like, 6.8 assists kind of games from Dwayne Casey. You you were very close to what I wrote down. I wrote down 8.8 assists. There you go. So we're there, on the same page. There we go. Uh, now, this one, I think, is pretty topical, given all the uh, tension in the NBA. Do you think the Raptors would win in a malice in the palace situation? I'm not talking about win as in, like, uh, not get a bunch of fines. But, like, if there was a brawl, how do you think the Raptors would fare? I think they'd fare pretty well. You know, I don't want to think of, I'm not of course not players fighting. Um, I think I think they'd be pretty well suited though. They have some guys who, you know, have a history of toughness. This Serge Ibaka has gotten into it with almost literally every power forward <laughs> in the NBA. Uh, Pascal Siakam already has had a couple moments where uh, you know, he seems ready to go when push comes to shove. Yeah, Jonas Valanciunas is seven feet tall and two hundred and sixty five pounds. Kyle Lowry made no bones about it uh, the other day that if Ben Simmons had wanted to look for him, he would have known where to find him. So, um, you know, I, I think I think the Raptors would hold up pretty well. I think the funniest part about it would be to see, you know, like Lucas Nogueira trying to make peace <laughs> and then Bruno just kind of wandering around at what, what Bruno would, would do <laughs> with that scenario. 
Oh, I, I, I feel like if Bebe, if someone went at him, he'd just kind of be sad. Yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like if someone tried to fight Bebe, they'd end, they'd walk away best friends. Like it would be yeah. like every drunk fight ever, where people start out yelling at each other and then they're buying each other drinks by the end of the night. Bebe just has that kind of, I don't know. I don't. I think if push came to shove, he'd be just fine. But I, I think he'd just be able to diffuse the situation pretty well. There you go. Now uh, a few quick hitters. As I mentioned. You host a podcast called Raptors Reasonablest, and so I have some Raptors fan takes, and I want you to tell me if they are reasonable or not. All right. All right. DeMar DeRozan should be an MVP candidate. I will say he should be. He's definitely going to get on some ballots, and that's definitely worthwhile. I don't think he's at the very top. If he's in your 4-5 or slot, I think that's entirely justified based on how he's played so far. Um, I think he's going to have a tough time getting any higher than that on a lot of ballots. So you think he will get some votes, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I think he has a good shot. I think the highest the Raptors ever finished in the MVP voting is Chris Bosh. I think he finished seventh one year uh, in total points. I think DeRozan has a legitimate chance to finish higher than that. If the Now, this kind of ties in. I'll ask it after this. The Raptors could finish number one in the East, reasonable or unreasonable? Uh, reasonable, but they're going to have to take at least two of the three games left against the Celtics. Um, you know, that's that's the big thing, right, is they're three games back and they play each other three times. So you sweep that and you're right there again. Um, the Raptors have the easiest travel schedule the rest of the way. Boston has a much tougher one, but the Raptors do have some tough opponents. So um, they're really going to have to take take care of that Boston matchup. But it's, you know, three games over the last 35. That's that's nothing to make up uh, if you play well and you can handle those matchups with Boston. Now, here here's an interesting one. Uh how many teams? Okay, I guess I guess this is actually more of a question. How many teams could the Raptors bench beat as starters? Uh, I would say. Uh, without, <laughs> let, let me bring up the standings in, in one second. Okay, it's sure, very, sure. It's not very high, um, but I think you know. I don't want it, to. It, honestly, the answer is probably zero <laughs> for a large sample of games. Uh, but I think you know you put them up against Sacramento, Dallas. Uh, Orlando is banged up as they are right now, or Atlanta, and they'll at least be competitive games. Um, you know, it, it's just tough. We've seen those those second units play really well, but it's a lot of like five two stretches over four or five minutes. I don't know if they could score enough over forty eight minutes uh, to beat many many more than the bottom three or four teams. That's a good point. Uh, do the Raptors Raptors have the best bench in the NBA? Reasonable or unreasonable? Uh, I think it's pretty reasonable. You know, you can. You could probably make a good case for, for Golden State, given the depth that they have there. Uh, but, you know, almost every advanced metric that, that we have says the Raptors um, bench has been uh, incredible to this point. There's there's a statistic called blend rating that, that I have it bookmarked. I forget who I should credit for it. Um, so I feel really bad. But by <laughs> that metric, uh, the Raptors have like above and beyond the best bench uh, this blend rating which is an adjustment of net rating and then um, each individual's contribution in an advanced metric so the, the Raptors bench by that metric is is significantly above everyone else in the league um, so you know if you want to slice it that way if you want to look at those advanced metrics look at the plus minus or whatever uh, I think they have a really good case okay and here is the hottest and final uh, oh Raptors hot take Raptors will make the finals and get an entire game off the Warriors. Okay, I'll say this. I think if they made the finals, you could take a game. They play Golden State close every single time. Um, you know, over the last, I think, five meetings, every game has been single digits. You, you get in enough of those, and something's going to break your way. Um, so I don't think that's unreasonable. 
Uh, I don't, you know, if you're if you're betting Raptors versus the field to come out of the East, you got to take the field. I think Cleveland's still the favorite until you get into the playoffs and see what they look like. Um, I think, you know, if you were betting with your brain instead of your heart, maybe Boston and Toronto are probably on the same level. I think I'd take Toronto. Um, I, I think I'd give them a better chance of coming out of the East than Boston slightly, assuming Gordon Hayward's not back. So that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. Cleveland's the favorite until they're not. The Raptors probably have you know, the second best shot of coming out of the East, unless you're pretty optimistic about Boston keeping, keeping that up in the postseason. And, you know, I wouldn't begrudge you for picking Toronto or Boston second. Uh, and then if you got there, yeah, you play enough five point games, maybe, uh, maybe you can take, maybe one of those five point games bounces your way. I don't think that's uh, entirely unrealistic. Maybe there's one time they don't call Jakob Pertl for a blo- uh, foul when he blocks Curry shot. I don't know. There will never be a time where Jakob Pertl is not getting the, the short end of the, the whistle. I, th- I looked it up the other day, and he's like in historic uh, in historic area for like fouls per, per 100 possessions uh, through this many minutes in a career. Ooh, that's, uh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, uh, Blake, I appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything you want to promote before uh, we let you go? No, just, you know, most of my stuff goes up at Raptors Republic or The Athletic or Vice, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Blake Murphy ODC. I tweet too much, but all my links go up there if you want to read stuff. So that's about it, man. Blake, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. That was Blake Murphy. He is the managing editor of the Raptor Republic website. He also writes for The Athletic and Vice Sports. Now we've got some big news here at Canada's Court. You can now check out our official webpage. It's really simple, www.canadascourt.com. We'll be posting stories there, episodes on there, and uh, all sorts of stuff. So definitely check that out. Now, if you have any thoughts on the website or this episode, maybe you've got some uh, Raptors hot takes of your own, you can let me know on Twitter. That's at Canada's Court. Love to hear from you. And if you could also do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for this podcast, that would be awesome. Doesn't take long, maybe a minute or two, and it means a lot for uh, the uh, metric things that count things for the podcast. So I would appreciate that. That's all for this episode of Canada's Court. Thanks for listening.